Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. I'm Brad from Heinemann. On today's podcast, channeling your favorite teacher. I'm sure you think about your favorite teacher from time to time, but what can our memories do to inform our teaching? Heinemann author Maggie Beatty Roberts thinks we can use these influences to help form teaching archetypes to help better our practice. Maggie Roberts began her teaching career in the heart of Chicago and then pursued graduate studies as a literacy specialist at Teachers College at Columbia University. She worked as a staff developer for Teachers College, reading and writing project for nearly 10 years, where she led research and development in digital and media literacy, as well as differentiated methods of teaching. Maggie is currently a national literacy consultant, author, and frequent presenter at national conferences. She is the co-author of DIY Literacy and co-authored several Heinemann units of study books on the teaching of writing. When we sat down, I wanted to know who was Maggie's favorite teacher. My favorite teacher was Mrs. Fuller. She was my fifth grade teacher, and she was larger than life, which was so interesting because I was quite shy and introverted, and so I would think someone that was so big in the room would be <laughs> intimidating <laughs> to me. But um, uh, she just was strong and um, skillful, and she was unafraid to be a lot of things at one time. Mm -hmm. You know, she was constantly kind of dressing up in history as different people, giving lectures. <laughs> she uh, wouldn't be afraid to get really messy during oh, wow. science and yeah. do all kinds of experiments. And honestly, um, I, that was my first book club memory. Oh, she wow. had us in book clubs back then. And I remember you know, goofing around with my club, uh, reading in our library. And uh, so she just had all these different ways of being with us, which I think was magical. Mm -hmm. um, and she also was no nonsense. You know, mm -hmm. Mrs. Fuller was known for like hearing her in, you know, you heard her voice booming down the hallway. <laughs> like she didn't play. And um, so I think that also created safety in the class mm -hmm. because she didn't use her, her loudness as a, as, as a, like a tool of fear. Mm -hmm. She used it more as just a place to like create boundaries for the kids. And so I just loved how dynamic she was as yeah. a teacher. Yeah. And while it's fun to get nostalgic about these things, you say as teachers, we really should take a moment 
to, to do this reflection, but why is that important for mm-hmm. us to sort of reflect on these moments of educators from our past? I just think teaching and learning is so personal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a relationship. And when we're thinking about teaching, you know, sometimes the conversations and thoughts can be geared to, you know, what are your learning objectives? What's the curriculum? Um, what's your pedagogy? What's your pacing chart? What's your unit plan? Mm-hmm. And all of those systems are so important, and you mm-hmm. want them to have like healthy heartbeats in the room. I'll say a lot, like, sure, kids need programs, mm-hmm. right? But kids don't need programs, they need you. Mm-hmm. They, they need the teacher, that, that there is something, there's a chemistry between teacher and student that is the spark for letting that curriculum um, fly high in the mm-hmm. room. And I think that when we are, in our day to day and we are facing standards and we are facing high stakes tests and you know growth patterns and all of that it can be hard to remember why we are there in the first place and mm-hmm. it can be hard to remember the Mrs. Fuller yeah. you know because it's that it's the booming voice it's yeah. putting on the hat as you're lecturing as a historical <laughs> figure that i think is what kids and what i honestly really remember how is this journey into the past that have helped you reflect on your own teaching? You know, when I started thinking about caring for our art, you Mm -hmm. know, caring for our craft, our profession, I started to think back to organizations and, um, you know, places where we go to learn teaching. You know, we go to undergraduate programs, Mm -hmm. we take online classes, um, UTEP in Chicago, uh, the teaching fellows in New York City, like there's all these places we go to Uh, learn how to become teachers. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was thinking about this topic of uh, nurturing the art of great teaching, um, I I went to kind of examine some of those places. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to have some time in some of those places. For me, it was the Golden Apple Foundation Mm -hmm. in Chicago. And um, I dusted off that notebook. And, (laughs) you know, I was, you know, 18 in Chicago, (laughs) you know, working in the public schools as a volunteer in the morning and taking these seminars with master teachers in the afternoon. And I was like, what was it about that program that I am connected to Mm -hmm. that in my mind, it feels like they raised and they, they crafted amazing teachers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had all these notes on like pedagogy and um, methods of teaching and different kinds of curriculum. And I even participated in like inquiry and writing workshops and it was amazing. But really like It were the names of these teachers that really stood out. It was Greg Mitchie, Mm -hmm. you know, and he would coach us to be fearless activist uh, teachers. And um, Jan Urist, who was this amazing artist who taught us how to let kids be in the material as they learn. And, you know, Dominic Belmonte, who was an amazing storyteller and is still head of uh, the organization there. And so I remembered the people Mm -hmm. and I remembered the way that they were as they orchestrated teaching and learning. And it wasn't necessarily that I remembered the curriculum they used at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so it just made me think of who are these kinds of teachers, these these people. The curriculum doesn't make them great. Mm -hmm. It's it's the it's what they do with that. Mm -hmm. I began to get curious about when was I, you know, the artist in my teaching (laughs) and when was I the messy scientist as a teacher. So, yeah, that was where I first started thinking about it. And it led you to sort of think about 
these teaching archetypes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about these archetypes and, yeah. and where this led your thinking. Yeah. So I thought I think there's there's amazing so much support at a curriculum level when we think about teaching. Um, there's so much support in terms of methods of teaching and just the stuff that teachers have. But like, what if we thought about our teaching in terms of these archetypes of great teachers? Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about Miss Fuller, I think about her first as a storyteller. I've always thought of, for me, teaching as a performance art. I was a a theater kid. I was (laughs) on the speech team. I uh, loved everything performance. And so when I think about my teaching and when I think about Miss Fuller as a storyteller, it it really felt like, oh, wow, yes, teaching is a performance in that way. When we we think about these different archetypes, how do they help us achieve our teaching goals? That's right. (laughs) If I think about my first period, class of eighth grade students in Chicago. Oh, it was such a rough, it was such a rough <laughs> first period. I think it was 801 and it was early and lots of heads were on the desk and we were all sleeping. And so the big thing was how do we wake up oh, to yeah. ourselves <laughs> and our learning? And I knew it wasn't going to be like a curriculum lesson mm-hmm. or like a certain, you know, strategy. Yeah. It was how can I wake up 801 as a storyteller and begin my lesson with a carefully crafted anecdote that would lead them into wanting some teaching of the day. Or do my kids need the coach right now? Do they need kind of that no-nonsense motivator, getting them up, rallying them to the big work of the day? So how can I be as a facilitator of Mm -hmm. teaching and learning that can help me meet my goals of like what this class needs? Do Mm -hmm. they need engagement? Maybe I need to be a storyteller. Do they need to discover their own thinking? Maybe they need me as a scientist. do they need to be heard? Uh, do I do I need to take on this role of a therapist mm-hmm. right now? Oh, yeah. So um, tapping into what we know our kids need in a moment and saying, yep, curriculum is going to help with that, but how can I offer it to them? Mm-hmm. There's all these ways I can offer that to kids that I think we know a lot about. So what I'm curious about is, is that replicable? Because mm. I'm no artist. <laughs> you know, like, I am no artist. I am, I am not a scientist. But yeah. I'm so curious, could I crack that archetype open and figure out how to embody that? Mm. Because it might really help give kids what they need in that yeah. moment. And you give us little pieces of advice throughout this. So in the storyteller, you really stress less biography, more memoir. Think about memoir. What do you mean when you say that? So one of my favorite tips of using storytelling as an effective teaching method is when I am storytelling, I want to think memoir, not biography. Mm -hmm. That is that Julie reminds us that there's a lot of power in leaving things out. I want to be strategic if I'm taking on these kind of identities as a teacher, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to I don't want to storytell for like 40 minutes and all of a sudden be like, wait a second, what did I teach? Like, we're all having a great time, but it's become just like story time. And and there is a place for that. But if I'm using it strategically as a method Mm -hmm. to like wake up 801, to like get them in the palm of my hand, I might start the story of my lesson, which is going to take them into the strategy of the day. Mm -hmm. If it's writing workshop, I might start in the middle of something dramatic that happened to me mm-hmm. in 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 the morning, and um, and and not start with all of that backstory, so that I'm crafting my stories 
with an editorial eye mm-hmm. that are all moving my audience, my kids towards the work of the day. Oh, wow. So it's crafted yeah. and it's rehearsed, yeah. right? So if if in this moment we say that teaching is a performance art, there's a lot of rehearsal that oh, goes yeah. in on that. So yeah. it's not necessarily impromptu, uh, but it feels as such so that we can get the room together invited into the work of the day. Well, I think that's reassuring for some people, too, that maybe might hear storytelling, hear about that performance art, and just go, oh, I'm not that strong of a performer. But if they rehearse it, and if they think about sort of that practicing, that rehearsal, yeah. that really gives you a lot of strength. Yeah, like, I mean, imagine a, a, a PD starting off with, you know, we're a bunch of fourth grade teachers sitting in a room planning our, our lessons of the week, mm-hmm. and we get a sense of what's the story of our curriculum this week, and then we... We think like what could be some stories yeah. that we use to help invite kids into this work. And um, <laughs> you might feel like awkward and embarrassed, but like practicing them yeah. together. You know, I can't oh, yeah. tell you how many times at speech tournaments I was rehearsing <laughs> my dramatic interpretation to a wall. You know, like when you go see speech tournaments, all the kids are like performing at the wall and they're yeah. practicing. But that's that's where it gets fun, you know, is yeah. is is not just you know, what's my lesson plan? What are my objectives? What are the goals? It, like where, where it's fun is like, yeah. well, what's the magic behind the methods, yeah. right? What is that spark? And if I'm not a storyteller, mm-hmm. could I learn how to be one mm-hmm. or fake it until I make it uh, <laughs> to serve a greater good, yeah. which is what my kids need? Yeah. yeah. Well, and at times what they need is a coach, the coach. They need Coach Taylor. Tell yeah. us about Coach Taylor. Oh how do we goodness. how do we channel Coach Taylor? Coach Taylor <laughs> is just one of my favorite characters. I, I believe he exists. Yeah. I mean, he is like a real person in my life. Um, if you haven't watched Friday Night Lights, that is a good thing to experience. But you know, um, Coach Taylor is a uh, he's got a little bit of Miss Fuller, mm-hmm. right? That no nonsense, boundary setting, um, high expectations, mm. trim uh, uh, phrases or clips of inspirational speeches mm-hmm. to kind of holler at your players <laughs> to get them going. So when I think about coaches and I think about Coach Taylor, there is like he's so much in in that identity as a coach he's a leader he's a teacher he is a disciplinarian mm-hmm. he's a friend he's a mentor and um you know people who have had great coaches in their lives um it it changes you yeah. it it sets you on a path to your own discovery you know when i when I needed a coach, you know, I needed someone to say, hey, you know how to do this. Yeah. Remember this. Remember, it's like, you know, for me, I was a swimmer as a kid and um, I was coached by a, a, a coach who had swum in the Olympic trials. Oh, wow. So he knew his stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I was a kid and his favorite stroke was the backstroke and so mm-hmm. was mine. And I knew how to do it. Um, but I would get a little lazy. Mm-hmm. I would get a little sloppy and I can still hear his voice echoing in the pool room of telling me um, 
little tips and reminders Mm -hmm. to keep it going. Or, you know, if I was swimming a 200 at the very last minute and I felt like I was all out of air and I couldn't make that last flip turn, Mm -hmm. I could hear his voice saying, you can do this, push on. And so I think about when our kids need coaches Mm -hmm. to say, hey, you know how to do this. Let's get going, right? Like reminding kids to bring everything they know about this topic Mm -hmm. or this unit into their practice Um, or um, when when kids feel like they can't keep going intellectually if they can't keep going emotionally um, if they uh, uh, can't keep going socially you know how much of that coach voice can help lift them up you could be that first voice in their day. You know, I, I think about swimming in the pool and I I didn't need a storyteller in that moment because <laughs> yeah, no. I would have just like floated on my back and hung out and been like, this is lovely. Like I needed someone motivating me yeah. and telling me I can do this, but, but not doing the work for me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I needed someone to, to lift me up with small prompts that were specific and clear, but I was doing the work, Mm. right? I was swimming or I was doing the work. I was writing. Mm. Um, So the coach is a really nice identity to embrace when your kids need to get going and you can help them do that. One other thing you've talked about in this area is making progress tangible. Mm -hmm. Why is that so crucial? Mm -hmm. So there's a great article by Sarah um, Green Carmichael from the Harvard Business Review, and she curates all these great tips from amazing coaches. You know, for instance, um, there's a little known swimmer, Michael Phelps. Uh, You may have heard of him, right? She features his coach. And they have all these great tips like, um, you know, be honest and direct in your coaching, but be sensitive and compassionate at the Mm -hmm. same time. And one of my favorite tips from from these uh, historic coaches is to make progress tangible. Mm. You know, to to a coach will a great coach will set clear goals and milestones for their players and celebrate mm. big when we hit them. So if I think about that as a writing teacher, oh, yeah. you know, sitting down to write a literary essay or sitting down to even write a paragraph or sitting down, you know, to start a book of my own choice mm-hmm. and 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 read that when I've never done that before yeah. if I'm a, a reader. How can I as the teacher break down that task into short manageable goals and give kids a ton of feedback when they hit them? Mm-hmm. I see myself doing that all the time as a oh, writing yeah. teacher and yeah. a reading teacher. And so can I get even more intentional about that work by saying, I'm a coach right now, mm-hmm. right? I'm gonna I'm gonna go and listen to this book club and be like, uh-huh. Yeah, let's like let me help you make a reading plan. I think that can be helpful. So the third archetype that you've talked about is the scientist. And the scientist is kind of well, the scientist is fun. I like the scientist a lot. Mm-hmm. Is that tell, your favorite? Yeah. <laughs> tell us about the scientist. That would be a fun game, right? To yeah. kind of be like, okay, so what's your favorite way <laughs> of being as a teacher? Right. If the storyteller is teaching as a performance art, mm-hmm. right, we could think about the scientist as teaching as inquiry. Mm. You know, um, you know, landmarks of this teaching identity, this this way of being, this archetype. Um, it's inquiry. Mm-hmm. It's questioning. Um, 
if I think about teaching as a scientist, I'm analyzing data and looking for patterns. I'm having a mindset that we are problem solvers, Mm -hmm. you know, and that um, experimenting with the unknowns is the exciting piece, you know, and I, I think that when we think about those big things, right, um, inquiry, Mm -hmm. project-based learning, kind of these um, more kind of boundaryless fun places to be Mm -hmm. as a teacher and a learner for some students, right? That's really exciting. For some students, it can be daunting. Same for teachers, right? To teach in that way can be a little, you know, if I put up a great piece of writing Mm -hmm. and I do an inquiry as a writing teacher and I say, hey, friends, what do you notice about this piece of writing? Yeah. And they don't notice anything. (laughs) And I'm like, it's May. How do you not notice anything? So like inquiry can sometimes make you feel bad about yourself. You're like, oh, well, this didn't go well. But like, like a scientist would mm-hmm. be curious about that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, thinking about when do my kids need curiosity? Mm-hmm. When do my kids need to experiment with the unknown mm-hmm. in my curriculum? Like when in this unit would inquiry be powerful? Mm-hmm. In the beginning of this unit? When in my week would inquiry be powerful? Mm-hmm. When in my lesson would inquiry be powerful? And so could I tap into being a scientist? So you talk about how being the scientist really helps us with critical thinking. Absolutely. You know, for me, I can't just like, if I'm not like a natural scientist, which I am not, um, <laughs> I can't just be like, all right, my kids need to meet, need me to be the scientist today. Yeah. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that um, we're always craving ways to like meet our kids where they are mm-hmm. and lift them up with their teaching. Mm-hmm. And we might know, hey, my kids need a little inquiry now. They need a little bit of like, let's discover something together. Mm-hmm. It could be helpful if I frame my teaching as a scientist. How do I do that yeah. if it's not natural to me? So what what I'm interested in is thinking about like ways to be, ways to do that kind of teaching. If critical thinking is an important piece of that, mm-hmm. is to look at something critically, is there a strategy that I can use as a teacher? So mm-hmm. people that do this archetype well, mm-hmm. right? I think about Smokey Daniels. Oh, yeah. I think about Kristen Zemkis, their Ahmed, like they, they are the scientist mm-hmm. in their inquiry teaching. And so specifically the see, think, wonder thinking routine stresses the importance of inquiry based thinking through close observations mm-hmm. of a three step process, right? What do I see? What do I think? Mm-hmm. What do I wonder about mm-hmm. this? Right? So if I feel like my kids need the scientist right now, mm-hmm. I could look at what I'm teaching today and frame it in that routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we take all of these archetypes mm-hmm. together, how can we take this thinking and maybe sit with it and maybe create our own archetypes? How do we do that? Great. So I think, you know, first is we're really good as teachers thinking about what our kids need. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we're like, okay, I, uh, my kids need some engagement right, right now. My kids need to outgrow their thinking. My kids need help transferring what they've learned from one class to another. So first is kind of as always, keep this rooted in what the kids need yeah. and say to myself, my colleagues, a friend, what do my kids need? Second step, what might help get them there, mm-hmm. right? So I might look at my curriculum. I might look at my learning objectives. Yeah. I might look at my materials. But then the third step is how can I present mm-hmm. that curriculum to my kids where 
it works. Yeah. You know, like, do I need to be a storyteller in my delivery of this mm-hmm. teaching or do I need to be a coach in my delivery of this teaching? If I think about that, what do my kids need? What's my curriculum that could help meet that need? And how do I want to deliver it? Mm-hmm. Exploring that how in the company of yourself or the company of your colleagues sure. um, could be a really neat, fresh way to think about not just what we're going to teach, but mm-hmm. how are we going to teach it? So if I'm thinking about uh, my 50 minute lesson, who do I want to be in the beginning of that lesson? Who do my kids need? Yeah. If I think about transitioning my kids from whole group practice to independent practice, who do they need? Mm-hmm. Do they need the coach right now? Do they need the storyteller? Thinking about setting kids up to surmise their thinking from that lesson and carry it into the next day. Mm-hmm. Who do they need? They may need the scientist. So it's fun to think about like who my kids need across a day, across a week, or it could be really fun to plan a unit of study and say, how do I want to start this unit? Oh yeah. You know, my my mentor Lucy Hawkins says that the beginning of the unit shouldn't be a surprise party. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like we like walk in and be like, all right, kids, all of a sudden we're like writing literary essays. So um, you know, storytelling is a great place to begin a unit. Uh, coaching is a great place to keep that unit going. Mm-hmm. And being a scientist could be a really neat place to end the unit with an inquiry of our very own work saying, wow, we went from point A to point B. Oh, um, what yeah. did we discover there? Yeah. So it's a neat way to actualize and personify and bring ourselves because we got this is why we got into the gig, isn't mm, it? We yeah. got into the gig because of the Miss Fullers, the Greg Mitchies, the people that lifted us up in their teaching. I don't remember the textbook I read. Yeah. I remember the person. Mm-hmm. And so I think that all of us have that. And I think that we can learn how to be our favorite teachers in really small practical ways. You can learn more from Maggie on this topic if you're attending NCTE this week in St. Louis. Along with Kate Roberts, Maggie will be presenting Clear Eyes, Full Heart, Can't Lose, helping students craft a clear and heartfelt vision for their learning. You can join them on Sunday, November 19th from 8 a.m. to 9.15 a.m. in room 127. If you can't make it to NCTE, you can also watch a video of Maggie on this topic right now over at the EdCollab website. We've provided a link on the Heinemann blog for you to access it. Our thanks to Maggie for her time today. For more information on Maggie and her work, check out Heinemann.com or KateAndMaggie.com. And you can also follow Maggie on Twitter at Maggie B. Roberts. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann Podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can also leave a comment or a review. We're also now streaming on the Stitcher and TuneIn radio apps. You can also follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann Authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more at Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.